Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Our podcasts come in three different formats. We have our seminar series where we can listen back to presentations made at previous events. We have our 10-minute lesson series where we set out the key points of a particular policy issue in, again, around a kind of 8 to 12 minutes. And then we have our interview series where we chat to policy experts across a really wide range of topics. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Ellicott, who's a, a social entrepreneur. He's focused on really looking at supporting people who struggle with numbers and data, which is probably most of us when it comes down to it. He launched National Numeracy as founding chief executive in 2012. And then having moved on from there in 2020, he founded an organisation called Plain Numbers. The Plain Numbers is a UK-based organisation looking to work with firms to support their customers who struggle with numbers. Really, it's about making the correspondence that firms engage with with their consumers much more legible and easier to understand. So he chats to me about the findings on recent research that they've done, the positive impact that the changes organisations have made to their approach has actually had on individuals and their understanding. And especially when we're talking about a really increasingly complicated and fast moving area, which is the digitalization of our financial world. We hope you enjoy. I always like to start at the beginning, Mike, which I suppose is forcing to say thank you very much for your, for your time and sharing your expertise on this particular issue. I think most people would be familiar with the plain English philosophy, which yep. is that documents that we receive from governments or from organizations or from <clears throat> even policy think tanks like ourselves and yourself that we would that would be written in a way that's understandable to people for, to most people who have a basic grasp of english but the plain yeah. numbers conversation we don't seem to be having here in ireland at the moment so i'm curious as to as to why like your journey towards plain numbers if you can maybe yeah. let me know yeah we're not we're not seeming to have it here either uh, you know on the kind of the um the adjacent island and and that to be honest that's why we um that's why we set the organization up i mean the the backstory and and the parallel with plain english of course is, is a good one and it's one that we're slightly playing off as well with our name the the parallel really starts back in 2012 so i i i'd done a very different stuff in in, in my um, life, but I ended up running a small family maths education business that was to do with primary school maths education and enabling kids to really see numbers in a way that wasn't previously possible. So using shapes and a, and a pedagogical approach. Um, and we ended up selling that to Oxford University Press in 2010. And I was kind of working out what to do next. And a report had been written by a think tank looking at why why was there no charity focused on numbers in a way that there is it you know in in the uk there's um, an organization called the national literacy trust there's another one called the book trust and another one called the reading agency and there's a few others who are all thinking about literacy in the realm but particularly adult skills and there was nothing on the numeracy side um and yet there was data that had come out um in 2011 2012 to show that numeracy had actually got worse in the uk and and from a much lower base whereas literacy had got a lot better and there was a guy klaus moser lord klaus moser who'd written a report in 1999 about basic skills 
And, and it was really money that was spent off the back of that that led to this improvement in literacy, but numeracy had got worse. So he was one of the instigators of setting up this report from a, the think tank was new philanthropy capital. And I was kind of keen to do something else. And I ended up kind of saying, oh yeah, well, I'll chair a steering group to run that. And and I ended up carrying the baby for nearly a decade. So we got some, we got some support from Nationwide Building Society and then we set this thing up. And it was, so national numeracy was all about helping anyone but adults was where our main focus was because there's already there was so much going on in schools for kids um to get more confident and competent with numbers and data and the, and the base you know the the data in our in ireland is a little bit different but the the headline figure still i think is that about half of adults to primary school levels in terms of their number understanding and so and it's that's a much much bigger figure than the, than the equivalent for literacy so it's roughly one in two here and one in six um, at that level, which, you know, which isn't the lowest um, OECD level. And so so we ran this charity. The, f- the first big thing that we did was set up a thing called the National Numeracy Challenge, which is still absolutely worth your listeners having a look at. Um, and it, that's an online tool where anyone can go and check their everyday math skills. And you'll see if you go onto it that the first question is how do numbers make you feel? So we were very much orientated towards the kind of psychology around numbers and the fact that lots of people just freeze up when they see see numbers so we're all about overcoming that we're a lot about growth mindset and and that whole side of um that whole dimension much less about the long division algorithm or any trigonometry or geometry or calculus it's about how to use numbers and data in daily life to help you make good decisions so that was national numeracy as a charity it's grown it's 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 doing really well um, and I handed over to a new chief exec there in the middle of 2020, which was an interesting time to be looking to do something new. Um, and so one of the things that I, I decided to pick up was something that we'd explored a little bit at National Numeracy, the charity. And that was, look, along with helping people gain in confidence with numbers, is there something that we can do to help organisations communicate numbers and data more clearly? And so it's a bit like the the best analogy is like a someone doing an athletics hurdling kind of competition. You know, you, there's some you need to help the athlete get fitter and stronger and be able to jump over the hurdles. But can we make the hurdles lower? And so plain numbers is all about making the hurdles lower. National numeracy is all about helping the individual jump over whatever hurdles are put in front of them in terms of decision making in daily life. And of course, we're putting pretty big hurdles in, in the front of people, you know, all the time. So, so it's a it's a really challenging environment. And so we were playing numbers. We set up very at the very end of 2020, and rather we were pretty confident that we were we had some big principles that we could test. And the the, the in, we have a kind of interplay between three main principles. The first is about numbers themselves. The second is about numbers in context. And the third is about how we think, kind of behavioral science. And I'm very happy to, you know, to go back into those. Mm-hmm. But but rather than kind of set something up as an organize helping organizations without any evidence, we wanted to do some testing. So the the best form of testing is randomized control trials. So what we did was we 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 already had the Bank of England on board, and then we managed to get five firms to give us a bit of money. To, to do some testing. And so they were Thames Water, which is a water, the biggest water company, I think, in the UK. Octopus Energy, which is quite a trendy, you know, competitor brand for, for energy. Um, 
ClearScore, who are a, a kind of cre a compar credit comparison kind of site um, intermediary. Um, and then two insurance companies. So Direct Line Group, which is a, a pretty big insurance company. And then um, uh, one called Atlanta, which has has a number of different brands, Carol Nash and Swinton and so on. So, so with each of those firms, we agreed a fairly number heavy form of communication. Uh, so a balance transfer card is the, the thing that with ClearScore for Thames Water, it's their water bill. Um, for Octopus Energy, it was their monthly email. So different different for, formats and different documents. And, and we decided to, to apply a plain numbers approach to that using those three principles and then test. So 500 people saw their one and 500 people saw our reworking of that. And then in order to test, we asked them some comprehension questions. So the water bill, the first question was, how much water did you use? And the second question was, how much did you did it cost? And I'm sure you can share a link to the research report. So you can see all the 25 questions there. And, and what we found was there was the, the plain numbers version doubled the number of people who were able to get four or five questions right. So we set this threshold of four or five questions because we felt that that was a, a fair level of understanding. It was like, you know, reasonable understanding given the nature of the questions. Um, and yeah, we saw this doubling. So So we're really pleased with that. But the piece that was almost, you know, or ancillary kind of interesting to that is be before we asked the actual comprehension questions, we asked a perception question. So the question was looking at this thing in front of you. So for 500 people, that was the original. And for 500 people, that was the play numbers one. They didn't see both. Um, how is it clear, fair and easy to understand? So that's some wording from the Financial Conduct Authority over here. Um, and what we found was that almost irrespective of which one they were looking at, basically seven out of 10 people either agreed or strongly agreed that, yes, this thing I'm looking at is clear, fair and easy to understand. What happened on the original was that, OK, so seven out of 10 roughly said, yeah, clear, fair and easy to understand. Two or three out of 10 actually understood it. On the plain numbers version, still seven out of 10 say, yep, yeah, I understand this. But then it was more like five or six out of 10 who were able to actually answer the questions. So that that was really, really interesting and and is a real challenge to any organizations who are, are kind of just doing focus groupy type stuff. And oh, do, do you understand this? And everyone says, yeah. Yeah. So really, we built it all off the back of that. So, you know, we launched those results in the middle of 2021 at the Bank of England, but remotely, given where we were. And then we've now got a bit over 30 organizations on board, some of the biggest brand names, particularly in insurance, but also, you know, financial services and other areas here in the UK. And, and we're starting to help them by training practitioners, training people within the organizations to communicate applying this approach. I've talked for about 20 minutes. So over <laughs> to you. There's, there's a lot there. So, yes, I'll definitely, I'm going to put the link <laughs> yeah. to the research because I thought the research was fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to put a link to the numeracy challenge. So that will be in the in, in the notes. But I right. think that's the thing. So as you said, like there is like the, there's there's support here. So we have Nala. There are supports, as you said, for the individual adults to improve their literacy and numeracy skills. Yeah. But it's that thing then that I, I don't think that I, I'm happy to be proved wrong. Well, actually, I'm never happy to be proved wrong, but I'll be prepared <laughs> to be proved wrong if there's an approach here as you said, is looking at the information that we receive and filtering that through a plain numbers approach. 
And I was reading um, Danny Dorling's Peak Inequality piece there, the, the book just last week. And this really, I just thought this really summed it up. So the piece is originally from 2014. The figures might not be accurate, but the principle should remain the same. So he's talking about student loans. And what he says is the UK government produced a repayment calculator using an RPI, which I think stands for Retail Price Index, yeah. of 3.6% and working with a starting graduate salary of £15,795 to £70,000. It allows for a maximum loan, including maintenance and tuition of £50,000 and £25 for a three-year course. So if you enter a starting salary of £15,795, it takes 30 years to pay off a loan of 21000 at a final cost of 56000 If you borrowed 50000 you still only have to pay back the 56000 as long as your salary remained low. However, with a starting salary of 26000 your 50000 loan would eventually cost you £166,150. And what he says, I would be surprised if many 17-year-olds understood this. Now, I'm a lot older than 17, and I think I would have struggled. You know, if you'd entered into a student loan agreement in your in your teens, you're under pressure to get your education. You're being told education is everything. You'll never get a decent mm. job without one. But the difference in those figures is extraordinary. And I yeah. thought, and that, that's what I thought this, because this isn't just about numbers. Numbers is money and money is 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 everything, you know. So yeah. I just thought that was a really clear example. So this isn't just about going around the supermarket and trying to figure out. Oh, no. Is, is the price per pound, you know, is this brand better value than that brand? Like, yeah. this is huge. Yeah. And, and the really interesting, so I mentioned that the third of our strand is about how we think and behavioral science. And, and you know, we, we, we have, when we're working with these folks, we ask people to kind of have a real think about how long is it that people are likely to engage with this thing that you're sharing with them? And and the, the first thing is, firstly, is how is this thing you're sharing with them likely to make someone feel? Mm. And and that's probably in like three seconds. And and if if they don't, if, if it's a real turn off, you know, if it's something they just don't want to engage with, they won't engage their brain. They, like it will just be uh, yuck not in doing you know and and that's what a lot of numbers you know especially if you put a big table of numbers on the front of something people will just go yuck and they won't engage any further then and then if they but if they do choose to engage kind of engage their brain and you, you've jumped over that engagement barrier like how long are they likely to spend looking at it and, you, and we kind of have this framework around 30 seconds 300 seconds which is five minutes and 3,000 seconds or, or longer which is 50 minutes and those kind of decisions and so that's that's a perspective. The other thing you you were saying around that, like between the numbers and the numbers in context, this interplay between the numbers and the words is so fascinating because in the scenario you just described, um, it's called student loan. That is an utterly, utterly, utterly misleading word, term, two words, because it's not a student loan. It's a graduated graduate tax. So it's a it's a tax on graduates that changes. It's graduated mm -hmm. depending upon how much you earn. And it's a good deal. Broadly speaking, this is like broad brush height. But but these this is the conceptual understanding that people need before they get into the weeds of the figures. The basic idea with the student loan over here is it's a nine percent tax above a certain base amount that you're earning. Um, so if you're going to earn 
mega bucks. And I, this is relevant to me because my eldest daughter has is, is just started at university doing medicine. So, you know, the decisions one makes around her might be different from the decision, you know, or that she should be making. Going to be different if, if you're wanting to train as a primary school teacher or a nursery nurse or something else. So, so she, you know, she will pay 9% above uh, this for, for her student loan. And, and it's not really a loan, yeah. it's a tax. And so, and but, you know, you need to, so in the basic consideration of whether you should take it out or not, or whether your parents should up their mortgage a bit to pay, which mm. is actually a much better way of doing things if you can't <laughs> afford to do so, um, for example, um, that, 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 you know, you need to understand the framing and the context, and it doesn't help at all with it being called a student loan. And there's another example exactly like that, uh, that, that, um, to do with this whole spike in energy prices, part, partly you know related to U Ukraine and everything. So we had this thing come in over here. I don't I don't know um, the equivalent with you, but we it was called an energy price cap, and and it, and the big headline was and, and Liz Truss when she was very briefly a prime minister, but like yeah exactly she she kind of pitched it. Um, she she said it loads and loads of times. Energy price cap two thousand five hundred pounds. That's what the headline was. And so the, 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 the beneath the headline, it says, based on an average household of four people, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and so they're making a load of assumptions to get to that two and a half. But that's not what people are hearing. What hundreds of thousands of people across the UK did from uh, the autumn onwards, and there's data to show that that's kicked in, is people went, oh, Right, that's great. I, I only pay about two thousand five hundred at the moment, or only pay that. I'll put my heating on, and uh, and it's fine because there's a price cap, uh, energy price cap. That's what they're saying, and it's two thousand five hundred quid. But but that's not what that's not what the case. It is dependent upon assumed consumption. It is dependent upon assumed size of the household, and so on. So if you burn a load more energy, you're going to pay a load more than two thousand five hundred quid. But that's but people haven't got past like on the engagement thing they've either gone three seconds great 2500 or they've engaged a bit more but they haven't really read the small print and so a big part of kind of being numerate um is that is you know if you read a newspaper and you accept the headline you're you're basically not numerate you know that it, it, it's inevitably headlines are sim uh, the reality simplified down to catch your attention um and you have to understand you know the stuff beneath that. And there's a really good book by a guy called Tim Hartford. Um, FT, I think it's called. Uh, he's Financial Times guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's Financial yeah. Times, and he also does um, more or less. Uh, it's either called How to Make the World Add Up, or I think that's what it's called. It's how, yeah. to, how to Make the World Add Up, and it's got ten points. You know, and the, the, his first one is How does this number make you feel? Which I think is really good. How How does this compare with your personal experience? Mm -hmm. And then. Uh, you know other ones but is this a big number you know it's like where are the comparators what what's the base case you know and so all of these situations where you see oh 100 percent increase in something or whatever it's like from what yeah. you know is that from one person and now it's two people yeah and that's a doubling or 100 percent increase or is it from a baseline of a thousand and it's two, you know or, or whatever and all of the it's base you know the the biggest thing about being human is just kind of taking a step back mm -hmm. from your emotional reaction to a number or to a thing and going, hmm, 
now let uh, you know yeah. just take the time take and and don't don't get sucked in yeah. basically by the advertising or by anything else it took me a long time in the supermarket to realize that 50% extra free didn't mean that I was getting half of the box of cornflakes for free. I was getting a third of the box of cornflakes for free. So it's simple things like that, that, you know, that you're kind of, go. So, I, so I wonder, like, was it possible then to use our ignorance to benefit from, from our ignorance? So, you know what I mean? As you said, it, using numbers, knowing that we probably aren't really engaging with the products we're buying correctly works for a company's advantage not that i would be ever cynical enough to possibly think that they could be doing that deliberately but if you look at the especially the growth in buy now pay later the growth of easy yeah. credit and i'm conscious with you know some of the stuff okay you you buy a house on credit you buy a car on credit you buy big things on credit because you don't have the money up front yeah. and but to buy things like a pair of shoes online or, an, or a dress online or a pair of trousers online and spit it over three payments you're kind of going you'll have gotten bored with that before you've even finished paying for it and and when you look at the aprs and the because that's the thing like that that was the that was the stat that really really stood out for me on that research was that people don't realize that they don't understand like if we look say at, at say high interest so like doorstop loans or, or payday yeah. loans we don't have quite as many in the market here as we as you would do in the uk and i know a lot of them have gone to the wall recently but yeah. if somebody borrows a thousand, they're only interested in what's that going to cost me every week? Yeah. What it actually costs them is largely irrelevant. And I'm also conscious that sometimes these conversations, you don't have any choice but to borrow at high cost credit because you've run out of road, you know. So yeah. even if you're savvy and you understand, I am paying extraordinary rates of interest here, I am paying late fees, you actually don't have a choice. So even yeah. if you're savvy, you're still kind of backed up against a wall a little bit. But it's the fact that a lot of us don't know what we're getting into. I think when we sign yeah. up, it's a bit worrying. It's huge. I mean, it and we're, we're going to really feel it. I mean, especially over here, you know, the real implications of Brexit are only just starting to roll, roll through the system, to be honest. Yeah. And, and then so, so, so we've got some real big, issues it's definitely so there's two things i mean just a lot of firms their their whole marketing team is based upon behavioral science and exploiting um exploiting known uh, there's a book uh, called um predictably irrational you know it's like it that we have predictable heuristics and biases that you know move us away from rational economic you know man like dr spock kind of territory so that's that's that that's very easy for marketers to exploit like it's it's really not rocket science and and one of my a thing that i tried to get going before before i um set up play numbers was kind of around ai you know mm. artificial intelligence plus hi human intelligence equals you know what but, and not in research laboratories and everywhere else where the ai plus hi kind of um combination team centaur i think they call them it is amazing you know think about the, the everything we're changing you know that was changing at that top end of things but the piece that i'm really interested in is that you know if we think we carry around in our pocket more computing power than mm -hmm. took to get to the moon but the way the main way in which the algorithms that 
you know, a, you know, run in these, you know, main systems that we use uh, work is to sell people more stuff they don't need, ideally with money they don't have, <laughs> because then the firm makes a higher margin. Yeah. And that's and that's the pinnacle of mathematics. You know, so I look, when I was at National Numeracy, worked with, you know, spoke to a lot of kind of high end mathematicians. But in the real in the world that most of us experience most of the time, you know, 89% of the time, you know, in a kind of commercial transactional, it, it's the the maths is here to try and exploit us. Yeah. And the thing that I think, and so that's where I say about stepping back, like that's the biggest kind of piece of advice in terms of being numerate, making more rational, sensible decisions that are in your medium to long-term best interest. But all the technologies there now to, to be able to orientate the technology towards helping us to make choices that are in our medium to long-term best interests, rather than kind of, you know, there's a, I think it's a Buddhist expression, like about licking honey off a razor blade. I mean, that's right. that's effectively what we're being encouraged to do. You know, it's like, oh, the honey, yeah, but it's going to come back and bite you. And and it's incredibly, like, requires an insane amount of willpower to overcome that, like, and arguably in, impossible for lots, you know, lots of people in lots of, in the circumstances in which they find themselves. And there's a, you know, there's a direct parallel with obesity. You know, we've, we've created an environment in which it is incredibly, incredibly hard, and in some cases, nearly impossible for people to not become obese because we've evolved to cope with a scarcity of calories over hundreds hundreds of thousands of years and just in the last couple of decades yeah. that's completely switched and and we've got an abundance now and our body lays down subcutaneous fat when we have an abundance so uh, that and and i feel that like we were saying just at the start about you know, I feel there's a kind of similar thing happening and there's like peak data. I hope it's peak because I can't imagine how it's going to keep increasing. But because we're just all of us are just bombarded all the time by so much information. You know, my youngest daughter's 14 and I reckon she probably gets about as much data in a day, like from her Snapchat, from Instagram, from TikTok, from schoolwork, from everything from the radio that you know from everything else she probably gets as more than i would get in a month when i was her age maybe even in a longer time and she's just surged constantly with this stuff and all these decisions and and she's got to keep up her you know thing on social media and it's just it's just kind of too much and so i think you know the the question where you, where you kind of started the question about like high cost credit you know i i really do think there are things that governments need to be doing and, and it's certainly starting to happen here we've got this kind of we've got credit unions and other similar organizations and we've got you know to try and uh you know have slightly lower um cost credit and and kind of more mutual based um and and i think that that whole side of things is is really necessary because the reality is lots of people are now using credit to fund the basics yeah day to day uh and that's that's not going to be able to last no, no. I mean, unconscious. So much of this reminds me of uh, my favorite Homer Simpson quote, which is, uh, "That sounds like a future me problem, and I'd sure hate to be that guy." Because that's really what a lot of this is what is boils down to. Is today I'll worry about it tomorrow. It's as you said. It's the fact that we're having to almost be sharper and put in a lot of work to sort of to see, am I being taken advantage of here? And I think one of the key words 
in, in the forward when you're kind of looking at the research piece and looking to see where the consumer vulnerabilities lied. And it's that word vulnerability. And it was it was poor numeracy, having low savings. It was capacity issues all the way through. But that the poor numeracy was one of the key, if not the key, vulnerability. Purely by virtue of maybe being a bit strapped for cash, the washing machine is broken. Well, I read, uh, was it the book Scarcity? I can't think who wrote it. And it was something else I'd read mm. recently as well about like what money does to our brains and what a lack of money, what stress does. And your ability to make good financial decisions when you're stressed is impaired by that stress. So the scarcity mindset of that phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it it makes it doubly difficult then to to figure out, okay, uh, where am I going to get the best deal on a washing machine? It's a bit like I just need a washing machine. This is the easiest form to fill in. This is the one that I kind of understand what I need to pay back every week. Yeah. Not realizing, yeah. like Danny's student, as you said, student tax bit, that it's actually going to cost me five or six hundred pound more over the lifetime of the loan than it would do having yeah. gone to the credit union. That's the bit that I, you know, I wish more companies took that approach to be able to say, well, if you continue to pay the minimum amount on your credit card, you will be, it will be 21, 20, but more you've got to pay it off. The firms that we're working with, we, we will only work with firms who we feel are really walking the walk on doing the right thing by customers, particularly vulnerable customers. Um, we work with them for a minimum of three years and we won't certify any form of communication you know, with the plain number stamp unless, unless we feel it's in the in consumer's medium to long-term best interest. And a, and a kind of classic example there in relation to what you just said is, one of our kind of principles is, is around um, cons- um, consistent comparability so that you can compare, you know, apples and apples. And so a, a classic one that we get, we see all the time here is you've got a choice, say you're renewing your car insurance and you have a choice between paying a lump sum up front now immediately, you know, when it's due for your next 12 months of insurance, or you can pay it in installments. And if you pay it in installments, you're using credit. The, the interest rate normally isn't, you know, isn't too, too, extortionate but people need to be able to see if you pay now you pay x amount and if you pay in installments you pay x plus something and 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 they they still might go for installments because they don't have the cash up front but it's a completely clear transparent decision and because at the moment unless you actually plug the numbers into a calculator, the way it looks, the way it's presented is you pay X up front now, or you pay X divided by 10 over, you know, over 10 installments over the course of the year, which do you want to do? And people go with, oh, I'll pay 30 quid or whatever it is, you know, in installments. And, And it's not at all obvious that you're actually paying, you know, some, some amount of money for 60 quid or something for the, for the privilege of, of, or not privilege, but, you know, for the, for the um, use of credit. And so, yeah, making, enabling people to make informed decisions, you know, doing the maths for people as much as possible and make, making those decisions clear is, you know, the onus is absolutely on firms to do that. And we've got this thing over here, the Financial Conduct Authority, it's called Consumer Duty. And it, for the first time, puts the onus on the firm 
to be working towards good outcomes for customers. So then the the previously everything had been about making it clear, fair, not misleading. And so it was very much a kind of push. And yeah. generally what that led to is just huge reams of paperwork. And then the defense was, well, look, on page 27, it says very clearly that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, no one reads, you know, even page three or four, let alone yeah. page 27. So now that's, anyway, our financial ombudsman service over here hasn't really been accepting that for a while, but now it's written, writ large, mm-hmm you know, into into legislation. And so where there's a lot of, you know, where, and I'm interested in trying to work with these organisations, you know, we we have our, our benefit system has been merged over here into this single thing called universal credit, which is bloody difficult to understand. Yeah. You know, even if you're highly numerate and you've got all the time in the world, um, and that's not, tends to be, you know, the people that are yeah. um, subject to universal credit. So, that that there is so much potential to improve that there's so much potential to improve local government communication you know one of the things that we work on in the training play numbers training is the cat mike it was my council tax bill right. because it was woeful in terms of what it was trying to show about how my council tax was made up and stuff so there's loads of kind of public sector communication that has there is significantly worse as a baseline than the stuff that we worked on in our trials and in our trials we were able to double comprehension levels of of numbers of people understanding it so i'm really confident that if we are able to kind of get to work on lots of public sector communication communication with government and citizens there'd there'd be some really big wins that we could make brilliant so i suppose that's probably maybe coming into my final question then would be, as you said, you've seen the impact that this approach actually makes. And whilst I appreciate that sometimes you don't have a choice, you're going to have to go and borrow this money at this rate because it's the only lender available to you. But as you said, at least you're well aware of what you're doing. You know what's happening. What would you like to see in the future? Like what's the next steps now? What's your, I suppose, game plan going forward? Yeah, well, we've, we, Alison, my um, business partner, and I, who's you know set this up, we kind of have the not very humble ambition of, you know, seeing numbers and data communicated, you know, in a plain numbers way everywhere, everywhere. you know, wherever numbers and data are communicated, and and I think the the so what's from that are absolutely kind of in customers, consumers' interest that you know we're bomb- yes we're still going to be bombarded with lots of data, but. A lot of the math is done for us. Firms are having to be on our side. And if they're, you know, as in make enabling us to make a clear choice. And if they're not, then they're going to get penalised really heavily. Likewise, in the public sector, you know, you're, you're enabling people to make informed choices and you're providing evidence that that's what you're doing. I, you know, I think that that's that's the kind of win that we're going for. We have to recognise, though, that as you know, as per quite a lot of what we've spoken about, that even if that end state is achieved, and it's probably a few decades until it will be, there will still be a residual swathe of the population, and the ones that I think you are probably most interested in as an organisation, who will continue to struggle. You know, there are bigger structural issues. You know, so we are we don't see plain numbers as a panacea. We see it as something that can double comprehension levels from where they are now and then continually increase from there. And I think it's absolutely realistic that we can get to a place where 
most communication is understood by maybe 70 or 80 percent of the population um and at the moment it's probably understood by 20 or 30 percent yeah. of the population maybe 40 percent depending on what it is so so we're seeing this massive uplift and that's all to play for with the tools that we have here now there's then a there is a policy a residual policy question around okay well how can we help others that's outside of our scope at the moment but it but it's definitely live for me as an individual and all the work we were doing at national numeracy to try and help people engage with numbers and and gain you know the confidence to kind of go okay well like you know i can get to grips with this whatever my kind of experience and maths and school was and and stuff so yeah that we have to recognize that but there is probably you know two or three decades work just on the plain number side um but for kind of relatively easy wins of communicating numbers and data more clearly that that we are that we're going for now but as you said that on, that's only going to go so far uh, if we increase our numeracy capacity as individuals if we're still being bombarded with gibberish in yeah. in the documents that and i think you really summed it up when you were talking about your 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 children's interaction with the world to be to be included now to experience social inclusion is 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 equal to financial inclusion mm. and financial mm. inclusion is much more predicated now on being able to access credit on being able to understand and more yeah. and more and more of it is digital so yeah. the thing of going and, down to the bank manager and having a chat with the bank manager and getting a loan is is gone in the water it's yeah. click click and, this button do you understand yes here you go yeah and and don't eat, you know, don't get me. We don't have long enough on this, and probably several other podcasts to talk about the education system. Because, but just the headline is, we got that completely and utterly wrong in terms of mass education. You know, the the way and the the way to think about it, it completely ties in with everything we've been saying. You know, in the real world, the way in which like high end mathematicians use maths is, you have a real world problem. You convert that into this language or languages that's maths, you know, abstraction. You then do some calculations and then you get an output and then you say, okay, well, how does this output help me make a decision in the real world? And that's what all of us are doing. Like when we think about taking out mortgage or like the student loan situation, that's, that's what, and, and when we think of those three stages, what's the problem? That's a human question. How do we put this into a, into a tool that's you know going to help me answer it, a spreadsheet or a calculator that I found online or something that's kind of human then drifting into machine the third bit the calculation guess what machines are unbelievably good at that like mm. since the 1940s or 50s they're way better than humans yeah they can beat us at chess they can beat us at go they can be you know so the third bit is a machine machines rule every single day of the week what does that answer mean in the real world we're back to humans again yeah why does our education system spend 80% of the time in stage three teaching humans to do stuff that machines were able to do better than humans in the 1950s? And instead, we're learning some stuff from Pythagoras and a load of other you know, Greek men who, who, saw, who did this stuff to solve problems back in their day, 2000 years ago. We need humans to be able to frame a problem, abstract a problem, put it into a machine, like driving a car you know we don't know how the internal combustion engine works but we use the car pretty well and yeah. we use our mobile phones pretty well to do lots of other things 
get the output, what does that mean in the real world? Do we recognize that we must have plugged something in because the output is a factor of 10 wrong? And oh, we must have just put a de you know, the decimal in the wrong place on the way in. But we've got a feel for that because we know roughly what we expect the answer to be. That's, that's what we should be teaching humans. Um, and instead we're teaching them a load of stuff that's utterly disengaging because no one can see how it's relevant to their daily life. Guess what? Because it's not relevant <laughs> to their daily life. You know, so yeah. it's really, really warped. There's a guy called Conrad Wolfram. If anyone's interested in the mathsy side of things, he's a, he's written a really good book called The Maths Fix or Math, and then the S is in brackets because it's for the American audience as well. But The Math Fix, and he's been banging away for ages, but and, and hasn't really got any traction. But but it's worth a read if people are interested in that side of things. So the the kind of sunlit uplands where our young people are going to leave the education system a fay fay with all of these different decisions they're going to have about pensions and student loans yeah. is, is you know that's not happening either. <laughs> so we have to do stuff for adults now, and we have to keep kind of making the case that you know the education system wants to enable humans to do the bit that's, that humans have to do using the machines to do the bits that machines are, are better than humans and will always be better than humans are. But that is the key, really, is that like we need to be talking mortgages, pensions, higher purchase, uh, compound interest to a certain degree, all of those conversations, as opposed to, I'm sure, theorems and all of that has their place. But money money is numbers we need, to, and money is unfortunately, unfortunately a huge part of the lives that we lead and we need to be more clued in with that. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed that. That was brilliant. No thank you very much. Thank you. That's cool. Thanks, Suzanne. Excellent. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any ideas for future episodes, any conversations you'd like us to have, any topics you'd like us to explore, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie. Till next time, stay safe.